This episode was brought to you by Connect Rocket. Nobody stands up your EOC faster. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this episode is entitled The Epic All Hazards Debate. In this very special Emergency Preparedness Week episode, we'll be debating the much-touted all-hazards approach. What are the pros? What are the cons? And is it really the right approach for emergency management in Canada? To answer that question once and for all, Grayson and I are going to go head-to-head in a no-holds-barred epic debate, moderated by our very own epic producer, Sarah Hun. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. Welcome, gentlemen. Before we begin, a few housekeeping notes. After I read the resolution, you will each have two minutes for your opening statements, followed by a question and rebuttal period before closing statements. I am here to keep you in line and on time. Also, a quick disclaimer, the positions the debaters are defending were decided by coin flip and do not necessarily reflect those of the debaters themselves. So with that out of the way, I want a nice, clean debate with minimal bloodshed. Gentlemen, you are debating the following resolution. Insofar as all hazards emergency management is the approach mandated by the federal government and currently in use across the country, be it resolved that all hazards is the appropriate methodology for all disasters at all levels of emergency management in Canada. Josh, you are arguing for this resolution, and Grayson, you are arguing against. You have two minutes each for your opening statements. You may begin now. Wonderful. Well, I'm really happy to uh, be on the side of the argument because it's always easier to debate uh, when you're correct. So <laughs> it should make this pretty easy. Um, I, I want to start off just with a quick history lesson, uh, just to remind us all of where the term all hazards came from. It was coined by the uh, former uh, FEMA administrator and director, Witt, uh, back in the 1990s as a way of transitioning away from the civil defense and, and, and Cold War era type of thinking. And it worked. I think looking at our current practice, uh, definitions are still important. And how do we define all hazards approach in Canada? Well, looking at the federal EM framework, it says the all hazards approach increases efficiency by recognizing and integrating common emergency management elements across all hazard types and then supplementing these common elements with hazard specific subcomponents to fill gaps only as required. As such, all hazards does not literally mean preparing to address any and all potential hazards in existence. Rather, it emphasizes the leveraging of synergies common across hazards and maintaining a streamlined and robust emergency management system. The all hazards approach also improves the ability of emergency management activities to address unknown hazard types. Now, I think the last part of that definition, even though it's a little long-winded, is really important because some hazards are unknowable. And this gives us a great starting point to be ready for any hazard that may come our way. We all know that you know hazards are different. Certainly how you'd respond to an air show disaster versus you know animals escaping from your zoo are different. But at the end of the day, there's only a finite amount of actions that we have as emergency emergency managers to actually take. We can evacuate, we can defend in place, we can send out mass alerting, activate an EOC, declare an emergency, etc. It's not an infinite list. So that's a really important part because our outputs aren't infinite. Having a standardized approach really helps leverage our, our, our planning. 
Now, I know Grayson's probably going to have a bunch of fancy buzzwords like resiliency or vulnerability or complexity, uh, you know, capacity, fat tails, all these, all these terms that come up in the literature. But as pragmatists in emergency management, we all know that the all hazards approach is clearly the right one. Okay, Grayson, over to you. Well, Josh, to my colleagues who I know are listening quite closely and who have spent their career learning and developing specific industry best practices, to those who have spent countless years and dollars specializing and becoming an expert in a specific hazard or addressing a specific vulnerability, I hear you, I see you, and I'm here to defend you from Josh's dangerously oversimplified mindset. The all-hazards approach, as Josh has pointed out, may well have been a step forward 30 years ago. But the world has since moved on, and it is time for the Canadian emergency management profession to move past a myopic obsession with hazards and start focusing on root causes, specific mitigation measures, and yes, Josh, addressing societal vulnerability, those most at risk whom you have demoted to the level of buzzword. The good news here is that there are already a number of better options to choose from. We don't have to dogmatically pick just one approach, and we don't even have to be pioneers. From capacity or vulnerability-based planning to disaster risk reduction practices to the top hazards approach, we have a chance to take the best from all of these and apply them to Canadian emergency management practices. Even FEMA, the organization that came up with all hazards, has functionally moved on to a comprehensive whole-of-society approach. If we continue down the all-hazards path, we won't just be unprepared for the unique impacts of future disasters we will be left behind as the field of practice moves on without us. In my argument, I will convince you that the all-hazards approach is flawed in principle, unachievable in practice, and politically untenable. But more than that, I believe that this approach dismisses expertise and is in fact damaging to the profession. The Canadian emergency manager needs to be a specialist in their field, not a generalist. An expert, not just another jack-of-all-trades middle manager. If we ever hope to become a recognized profession capable of building resilient and prepared communities across Canada, we need to recognize that all hazards actually means one size fits none. Well, that was quite the opening barrage. Grayson, the first question is for you. Given that all hazards approach is currently the standard across Canada, why do you think it needs to change? The all-hazards approach suffers from fantastical thinking and internal logic flaws, and here's how. In an emergency planning activity, one of the first things you need to do is identify your planning assumptions, and the all-hazards approach has a few really big ones. The biggest and most problematic assumption, as pointed out by Bodas et al. in their article, Top Hazards Approach, Rethinking the Appropriateness of the All-Hazards Approach in Disaster Risk Management, is the idea that unique hazards and disaster scenarios can somehow be grouped together and compared on an apples-to-apples basis. This artificial attempt to consolidate dramatically different hazards under the same planning umbrella, to use a direct quote, is at the core of all hazards approach, and it doesn't mesh with reality. Although a terrorist attack, an earthquake, and a shipping explosion might all result in buildings being destroyed and critical infrastructure being disrupted, the approach required to mitigate these risks are completely different. In fact, when we look at a broader range of hazards than the typical flood, fire, freeze selection that most emergency management agencies cling to, complex hazards such as those seen in disease and war and famine are more different than they are similar. So if this underlying assumption is where all hazards theory begins to buckle, the methodological tools employed are where it breaks. 
we are all familiar with the HIRA or the HRVA. You know, get some people in a room, brainstorm some hazards, assign them a severity on a scale of one to 10 and call it a day. There are so many problems with this approach, many of which have been pointed out by one of my favorite disaster scholars, Dr. Etkin, uh, from issues with stakeholder bias to false equivalency between impacts to assuming that past frequency will somehow equal future probability to actual mathematical errors with risk calculations the HIRA and HRV tools are deeply flawed. And that's the flagship of the methodological tools for the all-hazard approach. So that doesn't bode well. But let's depart from theory for a moment. What about in practice? Well, one of the alleged successes of the all-hazards approach is that it enables effective use of resources because plans apparently apply to a broad range of scenarios. But we know that hazards aren't evenly distributed across this country. Different municipalities need to be able to employ very different approaches in a way that fits their needs, their resources, and their hazard environment. We actually don't need a broad approach. We need a specific one. Because of this, something like the top hazards approach to planning would be probably more appropriate. And if you need a real-world example of the failure of an all-hazards approach, look no further than the COVID response. Uh, we, you know, we were faced with something new, something highly technical that required expertise and specific management. Meanwhile, our EOCs stood empty, our plans stayed in the binder, and I think it's fair to say that most emergency management organizations struggled to find relevance during COVID. And in my opinion, that's because in practice, all hazards isn't all hazards. And the approach that we've been working towards for the past 30 years just shattered in front of us when we needed it most. So even if you dismiss for a moment that this approach is broken in principle and useless in practice, you still have to consider what it's doing to the profession. Under the all hazards approach, the key skill sets of an emergency manager are collaborating with multiple stakeholders, facilitating a common approach to addressing risk and project managing initiatives. Now, while these soft skills are very important, they're also not special or in any way unique to the field of emergency management. That's just good management. If we want to be good at emergency management, we need expertise. We need to do the deep dive into individual hazards and vulnerabilities and address their unique causes and impacts. The all hazards approach is turning us into generalists where the sum of our knowledge of the field can be covered in a four day ICS course, which means that we are no longer experts in our own field. So there you have it. The all hazards approach is broken in theory, practically unhelpful and damaging to the profession. And I, for one, think we can do better. Some fighting words there. Josh, you have one minute to respond. Well, Grayson, that was very dramatic. And, uh, you know, I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> All hazards approaches have uh, many benefits. And, and one of the key things is that they force us to expand outside of our silos and think about all of the interconnections of a disaster. You listed many different kinds of hazards in, in your speech there, but we all know that a flood is never just a flood. It's also a hazmat emergency. An evacuation is never just an evacuation. It becomes a healthcare emergency. And any other attempt at making you know these isolated uh, distinctions just makes silos. It's the intersectionality that's key. And that's where emergency managers thrive. We bring people together, we see the overlap, and that's why the all hazards approach works. By limiting ourselves to specific threats, we create plans that are less useful. And after all, any experienced emergency manager knows that it's the planning process itself rather than the plan that's the most important part. And what we want in that planning process is to bring as many people as possible into it, especially when we're talking about community-based planning. And you, you mentioned relationships are important, and I agree. 
those are actually the parts of all hazard plans that are least likely to change. That's what we emphasize in the all hazards planning process. So overall, it sounds like a lot of theoretical arguments and, uh, you know, you're trying to make us, uh, I think, belittle us as all hazards generalists uh, that we're somehow sacrificing expertise. But in fact, our expertise is that we can universally translate emergency management theory into any setting or organization. And if you ask me, that's pretty powerful. This next question is for Josh. Given that emergency management is constantly evolving and changing field, why is the all hazards approach still the right one for the future? Well, thank you. I'm chomping at the bit to answer this, and I'm going to try and answer it in a few different ways. Uh, you know, I've mentioned uh, being pragmatic a few times, and as emergency managers, we're all pragmatic. So let's talk money for starters. So uh, I would argue that uh, all hazards is the most cost effective solution. The reality is that many jurisdictions just don't have enough money to even hire a full-time emergency manager. So what we need is a general plan that can get us through the first few days or hours of a response until the subject matter experts and the cavalry arrive. And I think if you're looking just at cost options, we're not gonna hire a whole bunch of hazard specific experts. Uh, many communities are going to have a part-time emergency manager, and it's much more reasonable to think of an all-hazards approach to get that process started. You, you talked about high-res and some of the, the hazard risk analysis. I think that's the next part because isolating the right hazards, if you're we're using your so-called top hazards approach, you better be sure that you're picking the right hazards. And, and I'm not really convinced that we have the right tools to do that in any scientifically meaningful way. Sure, we can look at old disasters, we can look at historical trends, but at the end of the day, most of these little arithmetic calculations that we do in HVAs um, are, are hardly scientifically sound. And there's been quite a few articles uh, debunking that methodology as a way of uh, actually establishing what your top hazards are. And I think it's just a much safer option to plan for everything. And then we're at a lower risk of missing major hazards. And an all hazards approach, again, gets you started. It's gonna be the initial response to any uh, major uh, event. And you can uh, then use your planning processes to get more specific into the response as, as the response uh, moves on. You know, most of us, uh, I'm sure, have taken a first aid course at some point. And if you use that, I think as an analogy, all first aid emergencies, it doesn't matter if you're choking or you've been hit by a bus or you're giving birth, the first few steps are always the same. It's the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. And that's basically what all hazards approaches are. It tells us these are the, the uniform, same things we're going to do every time at the beginning and start getting our battle rhythm. Uh, moving on, I think another really important point is the value of stakeholders. And one of the things we want to encourage in emergency management is having more people involved in the process. We want a big tent, a big emergency management tent that breaks down silos. And Grayson would rather have a whole bunch of you know, specialists uh, uh, hanging out individually, having their own little mini uh, conventions and, and not uh, in this big tent model. And I think you know, we all know that the big problem is silos. And that's one of our, our ongoing uh, challenges uh, for, for planning and doing hazard specific planning just further silos our resources. And it leads ultimately to less creativity because you know, having that cross pollination between organizations is, is just so valuable to our planning uh, endeavors. 
Lastly, I want to just end off with some some actual evidence because you did mention uh, some some of the research, and I would point to uh, a really good review article. It's a little dated, 2012, by uh, Adenian colleagues, and they looked at the impact of over 400 metrics of preparedness in organizations that used all hazards approaches, and they found an overall net increase in overall preparedness between multiple event types. So what that means is when you're putting resources into preparing for one event, you were indirectly increasing your preparedness for multiple events. So it shows that even if you're not intending to do uh, hazard specific planning, this organic process starts to happen anyways, where you start actually seeing merging of, of responses and, and having an all hazards uh, process is actually uh, the inevitable outcome anyways of any serious planning endeavors. So this uh, synergy is really important. It's what as emergency managers we all know is, is the key to a robust plan and ultimately hazards change, but our response actions don't. So all hazards is the way forward. Okay, Josh, I have to respond to this because you, you just had an argument filled with straw men and false equivalencies in there. Well, that's lucky because it's your turn, but keep it to one minute. Since you brought it up, let's talk about money, specifically where the money is and where it isn't. I see plenty for fire mitigation. I see lots of money being spent on flood mitigation. I see focused DRR initiatives and climate initiatives receiving millions of dollars, but I rarely see a penny for all hazards initiatives. And I think that's because it's too vague and it's too difficult to show the impact you're having. So we need to stop trying to do things cheaply and start going where the money is so we can do things right. Secondly, you've talked a lot about a common response to disaster, but what about the entire rest of emergency management? You know, preparedness, mitigation, recovery. You know, maybe, maybe we can find a standard system for that first five minutes of response, those ABCs, as you talked about. But what about all those other phases? These activities need to be conducted in a manner that is as unique as the hazards and the communities involved. And painting with a broad brush in these cases will only make more of a mess. Okay, gentlemen, you've made your arguments. Time to wrap things up with your closing statements. Let's keep it clean and to one minute each. Josh, the floor is yours. Okay, I'll try and fit this all in. <laughs> Overall, I think we can agree the world is getting more complex, not less. Data over the last 10 years alone shows a market increase in global catastrophic loss and greater interdependencies at local and global levels. An all-hazards approach is our best hope at being prepared for future events that will cross all of these jurisdictional and conceptual lines we've studied in emergency management. There's already a move to change the nomenclature for man-made versus natural disasters, for example, and these artificial distinctions between hazards are going to continue to blur. The job of emergency managers is to construct the best organization we can in the moment to respond to a disaster and being as broad as possible in our planning approach so we leave the most room for innovations and organic synergies and creativity in our disaster response. So in conclusion, all hazards all the time. Grayson, over to you. Josh, I understand your desire to address all hazards and all disaster types with a simple and standardized approach. Wouldn't it be great if we could just focus on a few common impacts and apply the resulting mitigation and response plans to any scenario that arises? Unfortunately, we live in the real world. We live in a world of complex hazards, of overlapping and interconnected vulnerabilities that are not completely understood and are only getting worse, like you said. The people you serve deserve more than an approach based on unvalidated assumptions, 
filled with flawed methodological tools. They deserve more than a generic strategy. The people listening to this know that disasters do not fit into boxes and you will never have the same disaster twice. To use an analogy, a carpenter doesn't use a Swiss army knife to build a cabinet. So why in the world are we trying to use one to manage something as infinitely complex as disaster? The all hazards approach, just like every other product or system that claims to be one size fits all, is actually one size fits none. Thank you. Well done, gentlemen. Some sound arguments on both sides. Now, this is where most debates would end, but one of the things that make epic debates so unique is the traitor round, a mandatory section where we are forced to adopt the perspective of our opponent and argue in favor of their stance. So Grayson and Josh, swap places and get ready. We'll begin with Josh. So it's so hard to be a, a traitor. I want to uh, insert like a, a rebut to your carpenter analogy and say that uh, carpenters always use wood <laughs> because <laughs> some of the characteristics of disasters are the same. But anyways, um, I, I think there's some easy points I can definitely uh, point out. And, and one of those is uh, using COVID as an example. It showed us how useless many of our generic uh, response plans were that were very, uh, you know, behind the yellow tape focused. And when you have a, a large, slower moving uh, disaster, I think uh, many of us found that, you know, those EOC activation checklists actually weren't that helpful to get you through COVID, um, especially when your EOC is going to be operating for like two years. So, um, you know, using that as an example, the generic all hazard response uh, steps uh, really didn't last very long in, in terms of um, you know how to manage a, a hospital. Maybe it works well for an MCI, a discrete event, but if you look at hospital management and, and how hospitals function, I mean they're very complicated little ecosystems that have developed over centuries to be as uh, efficient as possible at taking care of people, and it does require some expertise uh, into actually uh, managing them. You can't just insert an ICS chart and, and call it good. So I think, you know, having that type of deep siloed knowledge and how hospitals operate, how the healthcare system works would be crucial to be an effective uh, healthcare emergency manager. And there's very few people uh, who truly understand how the healthcare system works across all of the different domains, you know, and I think that's important for, for good planning. Um, the same thing goes, you know, needing this type of expertise with any kind of other slow moving social disaster. So uh, as I said, all hazards really are, you know, more short duration. There are these standard response strategies with known endpoints. Are we going to use that for, for hazards like a war or a stock market crash or a multi-year fentanyl crisis that our, you know, country's facing right now, drought, famine, uh, crop collapse. Like, you know, of course, those uh, uh, kind of cute uh, all hazards response uh, uh, steps aren't going to work for those really large societal level um, uh, disasters. So um, at the end of the day, you know, if it was easy to fix uh, like that, uh, we wouldn't have any any of these social disasters. And we do. So um, I think I think the, the best counterpoint to my arguments uh, are in that article that uh, Grayson mentioned by uh, Bodas and colleagues. Uh, it's in disaster risk reduction and uh, the, the top hazards approach, rethinking the appropriateness of the all hazard model. I think it's a, a really good read to, um, if you are an all hazards believer, at least read the counterpoints and, and some of the intelligent arguments against it. 
All right, over to you, Grayson. Why is the all hazards the right approach? Well, Josh, you also had some good points in in your arguments. And, you know, the idea that there are common, identifiable, and even predictable patterns across many types of hazard categories and disasters is, I think, a valid one. You know, it doesn't actually matter what type of weather event occurs. We know that those of low socioeconomic status, uh, limited social capital, and, and poor health will always be those at highest risk, and we can focus our planning efforts accordingly. You know, it doesn't really matter why the hydro grid was destroyed or the gas line burst. If we can recognize possible impacts that result from a variety of different hazards, then yeah, we can work to mitigate those impacts more broadly. And although I hate to admit it, J Josh is correct. When it comes to response, there are only so many protective actions we can feasibly take. You know, if we can't stop or mitigate that hazard from impacting a vulnerability, then we have to remove the vulnerability. You know, evacuation, make safe, re-enter. In fact, I think probably uh, evacuation planning and re-entry planning are the best examples of all hazards planning that we that we have. Uh, so I will also acknowledge that although I have never seen it in practice, I do think that with the right expert engagement and leveraging of technology, it could theoretically be possible to conduct a robust and meaningful hazard risk and vulnerability analysis that could identify gaps and weaknesses and strengths. So maybe, and it's a big maybe, but maybe it's not a good idea to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. You know, just because our current all hazards planning tools aren't very good doesn't necessarily mean that the overall approach doesn't have merit. And then finally, in terms of a place to start, I think you're right. The all hazards approach isn't a bad one. It does represent an important move away from black swan or active God thinking. And it begins to recognize the intersectionality of hazards and impacts in a way that hazard specific planning does not. Uh, if I were to concede anything here, it would be that all hazards approach should probably continue to be one of the many valuable lenses through which we view disasters and their management. So still friends, Josh? Still friends. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Back to you, Sarah. Well, thank you both for your arguments. It's always good to examine what we're doing and why. And I think you've given us a lot to think about regarding the all hazards approach. Now, I suppose you want me to declare a winner here, but because you nerds run a podcast in your spare time, it would be very hard to call either one of you a winner. <laughs> so the best we're going to be able to do here is a tie. Well, there you have it. We decided nothing and came away more confused than we started. And that's what we like to do on Epic Podcasts. So thank you very much for listening. A very happy emergency preparedness week to all. And I do have to thank our sponsor, Connect Rocket. Uh, if you happen to want to stand up an all hazards emergency operations center, then you should use Connect Rocket so you can get those ABCs of disaster management going faster. Happy Emergency Preparedness Week, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Epic Podcast, a product of Emergency Preparedness in Canada, Inc. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the emergency management professional on the go. The views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may belong to. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca connect with us on LinkedIn, or follow us on Twitter at username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.